0: This episode of Navarra Live is brought to you by listeners like you. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Navarra Live. I'm Moya Lothian-McLean and it is my great pleasure tonight to be joined by Emma Dabbery, the author and academic. Emma, hello. Hi Moya. how are you? How am I? Well, I've had quite the 24 hours, which we will be talking about because coming up later tonight, a little look at a very interesting appearance I made on Sky News last night. Also, police in England and Wales are misusing their body cams by switching them off. And Labour have only gone and done it again. They've made yet another U-turn. Stay tuned for all of that. But first, we'll be speaking more on Dan Wotton first story. The misogynistic rant by Lawrence Fox that occurred on Dan's Wooten's show has now led to the suspension of both men from GB News, but it's also leading to more media outlets deciding to ditch Wooten. The Mail Online spokesperson has said that they have terminated Dan Wooten's contract with them as a columnist. That column was already suspended after harassment allegations surfaced about Wooten earlier this summer, something we will be coming back to in a moment. But despite these outcomes, the suspensions, the sackings, we shouldn't forget that the whole affair has had a real world impact for the woman at the centre. Ava Evans is the journalist who was the subject of Lawrence Fox's misogynistic rant that featured on Wooten's Tuesday GB News evening show. And Ava was on GMB this morning where she revealed what she's been dealing with since.
1: They've both been suspended. There's an investigation underway. What's been the impact on you? particularly from their supporters?
2: Um, I mean, I'm, I'm deeply embarrassed by all of it and I'm very appreciative for everyone who has very kindly stood up for me, but it's sort of the other side of it, which is half of the comments are very lovely and supportive and then the other side are very threatening. Um, I, I'm somehow part of this global agenda that is trying to bring down men and I hate all men and therefore I need to watch my back and be very careful because there are certain people who now yeah, threatening to come after me. Sorry, it feels ridiculous even saying it. But yeah, I mean, my direct messages on social media are full of people threatening me. And have you reported those to the police? I haven't yet. It's only, it's, it's only been a day and I'm still sort of trying to get my head around all of it. But I mean, reading them, it, it, it's just honestly astounding. I mean, most of the time I cover trade unions and picket lines. And now I feel like I've been thrown into something that is just so ridiculous and hyperbolic and, and nothing to do with me, really
0: thought so that was an interesting comment from the co-host there. Have you reported them to police? That seems to be our only recurse to the problem of misogyny and virulent online, violent, abusive language. It's, have you reported it to the police? Well, who's in the police? Uh, we've also seen this with Russell Brand, Emma. Male media figures who've built up a community that will jump to their defence no matter what they've done or whose human dignity they disrespect. I want to get your thoughts on this where is that impulse coming from it's almost cult like
3: well i think just because so many of these um these issues have been like reimagined and redrawn according to just like a very binary like culture wars format so it's like kind of irrespective almost of what the issue is one um one side will be presented you know as just the woke karate i even saw somebody commenting on um the fact that we were on this together on i'm hardly on twitter these days but i unfortunately was there briefly today and somebody was um commenting on our converse on this conversation that's going to be happening and they were talking about it was 1-0 for the Wokaradi, everything that was happening with Lawrence Fox as well was like 1-0 for the woke karate. and I was just like oh sweet Jesus so I think it's just yeah everything being reframed as this kind of war essentially against these illogical irrational um you know woke unhinged social justice warriors um and then kind of right standing, like ordinary, sensible, reasonable people just trying to bring some kind of balance and sanity to the world. Um, so I think that's often what's going on.
0: The balance and sanity that allows two male hosts to speculate whether they would shag someone or not. Uh, and the suspension of Wooden Fox from GB News has sparked a debate about the channel's Editorial decision making or lack thereof. But some new details have emerged on how that incident came to pass and the wider situation at GB News. Byline Times reports this It was the threat of staff insurrection over how Wooten, the show's executive editor, handled the segment and the apparent mocking of production staff per Fox's tweets which led to Wooten's suspension. One senior host told the newspaper that it had been inevitable. Other GB news sources suggest Fox and Wooten will never again appear on the channel. Senior newsroom sources have said that CEO Frankopoulos ignored warnings from staff members that the continued employment of Fox and Wooten was an accident waiting to happen. It's interesting they say this is inevitable because it didn't feel at all inevitable to me that Dan Wooten would be suspended from GB News nor Lawrence Fox they had actually the two most popular shows at GB News according to IMDb rankings I think there was internal stats as well which showed that Dan Whitton for some reason the most liked host among audiences at GB News and this is not an accident. It wasn't an accident that Dan Wooten was allowed to be executive producer of his own show. This is exactly what GB News has been angling at. It courts controversy, it's been testing the limits of broadcasting guidelines in the UK to see exactly what it can get away with. And it turns out quite a lot. This is actually one of the few occasions where the channel has offered an apology. Now, Byline also reports that internal discontent with Wooten is rife, and there's a strategic division within GB News. They write this. One senior presenter said, it's about time, but why only suspend Wooten? They should get rid of him for good. Employees have painted a picture of a rudderless organisation that's lost hundreds of experienced journalists in the past two years, driven out by, quote marks, presenter power and a management team which refuses to listen to their warnings about potential breaches of the Ofcom code and which is now a staff heavy with, quote, Unilevers and ideologues. Sometimes there's a crossover. To me, that seems to be an internal question of what GB News is, And what it should be. And I I really recognize that from also working in a media startup. But with GB News, the question is, does it want to be a right wing media organization that puts solid journalism at its core? Or is the aim to build a platform of polemicists and personalities following the same sort of path as Fox News? Accuracy be damned. I think we know personally, which group will win out, especially given the ever-closing ties between GB News and the hard right wing of the Tory party, who also work in that sensationalist vein. This 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 link between the Tory party, which GB News paid um, members of, sitting MPs over £440,000 in the last year, is going to become even more relevant as, let's just say it here, a platform the Conservatives can use as a propaganda outfit and influence the direction In the other way, of the Tory party, if the Tories happen to find themselves in opposition soon, they will want a platform, a media outlet that they can do that with. Uh, And I think it's also interesting that Paul Marshall, who is the co-founder of GB News, is angling and preparing a bid on The Telegraph something to think about there. Now, Byline Times has been reporting on Dan Wotton for a while. They published a number of exposés that alleged Wotton had catfished former colleagues and contacts in order to solicit sexually explicit material. Wotton has denied any allegations of criminality. However, he has not denied using the pseudonym Martin Branning, which is involved in the allegations. And that was what led to the Mail on I suspending his column earlier this year before they officially announced his sacking today. Former news, former employer News UK also launched an investigation at that time. But despite all of that, GB News publicly backed Wotton just last week, saying they would not be investigating him. Those claims seem, to me, at least somewhat relevant Given how recent events have led to Wooden's suspension from GB News. And they also seem relevant to SNP MP John Nicholson, who attempted to bring them up on Radio 4's PM programme.
3: I was very interested in, in, in the investigation by Byline Times. Dan well, Wooden was a very good piece well, look, of journalism. Well, let's
4: not, I don't want to go into unrelated issues, but I just uh, want to you ask you whether you're, there's you're, a danger in your sorry, position. You're, you're wanting Ofcom to censor channels that take opinions and give platforms to opinions that you I don't really want to, don't like.
3: I, I don't want censorship. I want Ofcom to enforce its own rules. The point I was going to make was that there have been serious accusations about Dan Wooten for some time, which have received remarkably little coverage in the in, in the press and, and which are worthy well,
4: I'm, Dan, of, Dan of Dan investigation. Not really, that's not what we're discussing here. I don't, well, it's relevant uh, because he's
3: the presenter on the channel who's now being suspended. I, I,
4: We'll leave it there. John Nicholson, SNP MP. Thank you for that.
0: Now, Evan Davis didn't want to talk about those relevant allegations surrounding Dan Wotton. That sparked the discussion in the first place. Uh, But the topic of GB News being shut down, not going to happen, was also raised on BBC Newsnight by former Sky News editor and current regular talk TV panellist Adam Bolton, who said this.
1: I wouldn't have watched it uh, until it was drawn attention to, but I wasn't surprised. Uh, Nonetheless, I did ask myself why these two people were on a purportedly serious news station at all, bearing in mind that Mr Wooten, in other areas, is currently suspended from the mail. He's under investigation at uh, The Sun as well for his uh, previous behaviour.
2: Over uh, allegations Uh, that he denies, I should
1: say. And and as far as... uh, Lawrence Fox is concerned. I think he now has a long record of uh, saying pretty extreme things. And in fact, I was at a news meeting at another broadcast today and was saying, well, you know, would you still put Lawrence Fox on television? And the conclusion was you probably wouldn't. And both of them, I think, have damaged themselves by doing this. And therefore, we say, well, why was... GB News doing it. And, you know, I have to say, I think the complaints have piled up against GB News. I think there is a delicate and important broadcast ecology in this country. I think, you know, GB News is trying to bust that ecology. And frankly, what Ofcom should do is shut it down, like it shut down uh, RT.
0: Ironically, that segment itself received criticism for not being impartial. Here's what Navarra Media co-founder Aaron Bastani said about Bolton's comments on X. Formerly known as Twitter. It's hard not to see last night's Newsnight conversation as a collective effort to maintain a media oligopoly, essentially between the BBC, ITV, Channel 4 and Murdoch, with only the latter allowed to break into the TV market. And it certainly shouldn't have been beyond the wit of the BBC to have someone arguing from the other side. In their defence, there are people at GB News, like Wooten and Fox, who regularly call for the BBC to be funded. There's been a rumbling campaign by them to discredit the public service broadcaster, which, like with Bolton, would benefit them and their employer. There's a fine line, of course, and I'm not imputing any motive for what may be personally held beliefs. I've been hugely critical of the BBC over the years, especially its coverage of Labour 2015 to 19. But there is a clear conflict of interest on both sides. That's why you need a proper regulator, something we don't have in this country. It's urgently needed. I have to think about this as well. You know, GB News, if they want to have a love in the way we often do in Navarra, then they should simply not be a TV broadcaster who is subject to Ofcom regulations. This is the same Ofcom that's only sanctioned GB News, you know, I think three times in their history since 2021, despite, as I pointed out, them very deliberately pushing the boundaries and testing the limitations of the broadcasting code and finding they can get away with quite a lot. For example, tomorrow, all eyes on GB News, because Lee Anderson, the deputy chairman of the Tory party, is going to be interviewing Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary. This is very similar to a chat that was had previously on GB News that actually did was found in breach of broadcasting code for the lack of impartiality. It was described as a love-in, and that was beneath Esther McVeigh, I think Philip Hammond, and Chancellor Jeremy Hunt. There was no dissenting voice, no challenging voice, just... Three people who agreed, chatting away. As I mentioned before, GB News' co-owner, Paul Marshall, is lining up a bid for The Telegraph. He already has this other site called Unheard. And GB News has become the fastest growing news brand in the UK, in UK media. It's, It's billionaire backed, basically. And that's the kind of injection of cash you need in order to make that sort of splash in the UK. I wonder, knowing what Paul Marshall has overseen at GB News and the analysis you just gave, what do you think an expansion, if he does manage to get hold of The Telegraph, might do for both UK media landscape and his own presence in UK media?
3: What you describe is is terrifying. And I think its ramifications go far beyond just his presence and the media landscape but it actually um, starts to, it just makes you think about um, what the descent into the, like the like It feels currently, you know, like the fabric of our society is is actually disintegrating in ways that I think are evident in all the stories that we'll be talking about, um, that we'll be talking about this evening. And I think the idea that uh, somebody like that would have the reins over one of the, um, you know, one of the kind of biggest mainstream uh, newspapers and what that would mean for the type of discourse and rhetoric and ideas that became normalized, I think has like really terrifying um, potential repercussions. Um, Yeah, I think it's extremely sinister.
0: I read a stat the other day that 65% of people are not prepared to pay for news. Unfortunately, paying for news is the only way that we are going to challenge the oligarchs and the venture capitalists who are taking over our UK media, often with companies that are tax registered in places like Dubai and elsewhere in the Cayman Islands. Now, Navarra Media, you might be aware, is not backed by billionaire owners, unless suddenly the directorate board has got a huge injection of cash I'm unaware of. We are people powered. We're supporter funded. And if you want to be one of the percentage of people who will pay for news, not just news, independent media, go to novaramedia.com slash support. That is novaramedia.com slash support and invest an hour's wage a month or whatever you can afford. Please It will really help us out. The link is in the description below, and thank you in advance. Let's go to our next story. They say in journalism, never become the story. Today, I am breaking that cardinal rule at the urging of Fox, not Lawrence, but the producer sitting across from me. Yesterday, I took part in a discussion on Sky News that was supposed to be about the misogyny platformed by Lawrence Fox and Dan Wooten on GB News. I was assured by a producer ahead of time that this was a discussion, not a debate. But, a minute to air, I was suddenly told that now not only was I taking part in a debate, it wasn't going to be focused on misogyny, but instead, quote, the limitations of free speech. Here's what happened next.
5: Moira, why is this so much worse than other comments we might hear from people like Lawrence Fox or others? Why does this, for so many people, tip over the edge of reasonable comment?
0: I wanna address something here, speech is free. They said what they said, because they have free speech, they have freedom of expression. However, when you're a broadcaster, you're guided by broadcasting codes. Now, the two presenters are being investigated under normal procedures that go ahead. They may not be found to have breached any broadcasting codes, whether internally or whether off-convert complaints are taken forward. Uh, However, to pose another question, Should we not be discussing instead why two broadcasters on a platform that claims it has aspirations to be the next BBC would want to exercise their right to free speech with that exchange? And should we not also be talking about the fact that misogyny was used as a vehicle? Lawrence Fox showed on social media the exchanges that had gone on before they talked about that on air. Dan Whitton issued a full apology, claiming they didn't know anything about it. It was an off-the-cuff moment. Lawrence Fox showed text messages and producer setups beforehand that had outlined he w- what exactly he was going to say about Ava Evans. And I do think this is, as Ava herself has said, a production issue. This is where it becomes entertainment. And I, th- I think there's an example sitting here f- You know, I was invited on tonight to talk about misogyny in media. Then I was told we were going to have a discussion in general. A minute before broadcast, suddenly this is a debate about free speech. It it doesn't make any sense to me. My focus here is the misogyny and why that became an entertainment vehicle. Now, I'm not new to the media. I may look young, but I'm sadly not new. I know the old bait and switch happens, but I think we have as a duty, as journalists, to explain to the public why they might be seeing countless repetitive media discussions framed in this polarising way, instead of talking about the real issues at hand, which in this case was misogyny.
5: What is your problem with that then, right? Specifically, the comments made by Lawrence Fox about misogyny.
0: What is my problem with Lawrence Fox saying something so disgustingly misogynistic that is being broadcast to an audience while his fellow broadcaster laughs along and the only thing that he says in the defense of this woman is she's very beautiful, which is more misogyny. It's the idea that women in all these walks of life are being disrespected on a fundamental level. It's baked in to our society, it's baked into our media, it's baked into the social media that people are consuming. There's a reason that, you know, Uh, organizations that work in schools with young people are reporting a huge increase in misogyny and rape culture. It comes from the top down. Young children are seeing this from social media influences and they grow up and they see it from these adult politics influences. Lawrence Fox has founded a political party. He asked us to take Seriously, And yet he's saying stuff like that. And you've got people coming on here defending his right to free speech. Well, he had the right to free speech. He said it very freely. He is now just finding the consequences of the free speech and an investigation that would follow anyone potentially breaking broadcasting codes. Notice the bizarre decision there by Sky to show a headshot of Ava Evans after I mentioned Dans Whitten's only defence of her was to say, actually, Lawrence Fox, she is very beautiful. Uh, Ergo, she has sex appeal. A woman's worth, remember, is attract rooted in her attractiveness, folks. However, whether this was misogyny, it was, or if misogyny even exists, it does, wasn't something the man put opposite me was convinced of. His name was Connor Tomlinson. He's a garden variety right-wing streamer and a GB News contributor. Here's what Connor had to say.
5: Connor, let's pick up on that, sort of the the labelling of women element of this. Has this specific tone of at times conspiracy-laden, often right-wing, occasionally misogynistic, freedom of expression, now been let out of the bottle, is the genie out of the bag, never to go back in? And if so, what does that mean about how some men look at women in society?
6: Okay, that entire question was just laden with buzzwords, which basically mean nothing to anyone who doesn't buy into those presuppositions. Conspiracy-laden, right-wing, are those meant to be insults and pejoratives, or are they just meant to be your value judgment of his positions, which are outside of this statement? We can judge this statement okay, as being it's offensive, It's based That's on fine. what
5: we've seen in America, the sort of the Trumpian politics we've seen, You're the framing of more, culture wars. More
6: like other th- these, is, these aren't things that Lawrence has said. How about we focus on the actual statement rather than making it too broad? If I can actually say something to Moya, this is a, a question. Okay, I agree. It's totally understandable to interpret what Lawrence has said as offensive. So. From what Ava said to me, for something that she wasn't investigated for, over a year ago she's still invited onto networks the same show by Piers, Piers came out and defended her for this, Ava said that women should be able to weaponize false rape allegations in order to keep men afraid of actually committing sexual assault. And, when I questioned this, she implied that myself and my friends would only be afraid of this if we are potential rapists. She suffered no repercussions for that. So. Do you agree that if misogynistic insults and misogynistic remarks are offensive and they shouldn't be allowed on air, misandric, man hating remarks and encouraging a culture of fear that means that young men are terrified of asking out young women should also not be allowed? Should Ava suffer consequences for that?
0: Sorry, I don't understand why we're discussing this when we're talking about the culture of misogyny that is endemic in society. Because I it don't understand both why, ways. You've turned it on, why you've turned it on a, a silly little incident, which I've watched, by the way, mm. and doesn't. It wasn't represented in the way that you're talking about it. I think it was a clumsy remark from her. But she was there. She was present. You were both present. You were having a discussion. Mm -hmm. This is talking... Ava is not even actually the focus, almost, of this. She could have been any woman that Lawrence Fox was talking about, that Dan Woodham was talking about. The point is that misogyny was used as an entertainment vehicle. And the most humiliating thing they could think of to say about a woman journalist was that they wouldn't have sex with her. The incident Connor Thomason is referring to there, by the way, happened on Talk TV last year. Yeah, he makes the rounds. Uh, Ava Evans doesn't say anything of the sort. She says, quote, I think men should be frightened to touch women in ways they're not comfortable with. And then says she wouldn't be friends with people who would have rape allegations made about them, which is, I think, very, very different from endorsing making false rape allegations. But that's what Connor heard. Now, by this stage, you might imagine the bottom-of-the-barrel nature of the discussion was wearing on me. I imagine it's wearing on you. But the conditions of the interview were about to prove the point I was making about gender inequality. Structurally, we face things like misogyny, which put us is in a much less powerful position. And when we're in economic dire straits like the country is now, what we know is that poverty feels things like misogyny. It feels things like racism. It feels marginalised. Um, demographics suffer the most when people feel economically squeezed. This is part of a wider question of where Britain is going right now. And the fact that we're having this polarized discussion once again, which is getting boiled down to these individual incidents, rather than looking at the broader picture, Lawrence Fox and what Lawrence Fox felt enabled to say, it's because of a much wider picture. And it's it's tiring to me, it's so tiring to me as a woman to come on here I'm sorry and to you're so exhausted to, to be you.
6: paid to go on air. In I'm not paid! I'm not
0: being paid for this interview! I came on because I wanted to talk about the problem of misogyny and the degradation of women in public life. Well, are you getting paid for this? Are. I'm not getting paid for this! Are you getting this paid is for what, this? this? That was the moment I realised that the man who was invited onto Sky News to say that misogyny didn't exist, was getting paid for the interview when I wasn't. Now, gonna finish that up by essentially asking me to explain who invented patriarchy and I would love to know.
6: Where was patriarchy not existing? This is an important question because you're basically accusing pretty much every civilization before we could even translate each other's languages and communicate with each other being I set up in the same like, way well, against what you got women.
0: that from you're pulling that your what mom. is your
6: conception <laughs> I'm, I'm not what is the conception <laughs> of patriarchy you're accusing and also how <laughs> does Are this we want here to talk
0: about this or to- gv news and why does misogyny- I know I agree. you the one that you broadened it out you're asking me to do a history of gender Where is patriarchy you broadened it, it out
6: you state? made the accusation the burden of proof I
0: said it's you. a social problem which it is in britain it's a social problem okay and who's
6: engineering the social problem this is the thing as soon as you is there a
0: specific person who's engineering this this problem rather than it's baked into structures and has developed over the years what what is this i wish i told him the truth that there's a little man behind a curtain who controls all the patriarchy and if you learn his real name he'll grant you three wishes that is a navara media exclusive now not only did it transpire connor was getting paid and i wasn't but i was initially offered a compensatory fee of 75 pounds the standard for interview like that However. After an apology from Sky, this was up to £200. Why? Because it turned out Connor had bagged a £200 fee for that 10-minute chat. Just think about that for a minute. Man gets paid £200 to deny that structural misogyny exists. Woman gets paid nothing. Meanwhile, the Lawrence Fox GB news clip that sparked this all was Fox denying the gender pay gap exists. This really does riot itself. Emma, has anything along these lines ever been your experience with broadcast media?
3: Oh, my God. Like, that was so hard to watch. Like, he is literally, to use an Irish phrase, just talking out of his hole. Like, the state of discourse (laughs) is just... You smashed it, though. This adversarial, gladiatorial sort of arena where generally you have one person who knows what they're talking about, you know, has a degree of like informed opinion, expertise even, and another person representing the other side for the sake of balance, who's literally like talking out of their hole. It's not really about furthering discourse or That understand- that's not about furthering an understanding of misogyny. Or how it operates you know in society it's again just about creating this sensationalist kind of yeah gladiatorial arena and it's all just kind of like clickbaity and emotive and outrage it's not about changing anybody's mind or teaching anything um, and I just think the state of our public discourse is absolutely dire and I feel that like we're I think you wrote an article actually like about the the state of opinion recently and I feel like even where there are people who don't necessarily have like the most egregious ideas the quality of so of of there's so much uninformed uninformed opinion you know there's so much stuff being put out by people who have a loose grasp of what they're <laughs> of what they're supposed to be talking about and I think it has again just really serious like implications for Kind of the level of public consciousness and understanding of um, all of the like all of the deep social malaise that we are currently experiencing and should be grappling with. But find it very difficult to kind of come up with um, solutions or to redress because most most people don't really know what's going on or what we're even talking about or what the parameters of it are.
0: I totally agree. And one of the reasons that I was, you know, I haven't gone into one of those gladiatorial debates, as you so articulately put it, for a long time is because I simply refuse to do them. I basically have to be tricked into doing them because I don't think they add anything to our public discourse or, you know, the framing of these discussions is so, I hate the word, but toxic to people at home who are watching it in their understanding of politics and how we should be, like, approaching these issues, they go back to the same old things time and time again. Oh, let's talk about free speech. Are we too woke? Blah, blah, blah. That is not pushing discourse forward. So when I get trapped into one of those discussions, I try and reframe it a little bit. But, uh, you know, this segment has been focused on an experience I've had. But like Ava Evans said about the Lawrence Fox incident, this isn't really... About me. There's several different things going on here. One is sort of the production entertainment value that we are seeing take precedent in our mainstream media. And the other is misogyny and gender inequality, which is obviously the pay issue. You know, everyone worked as cogs to get Connor paid for talking bunkum and not me. I've seen when I first said, why is he getting paid a fee? Then they're like, oh, he asked. And you have to understand in the first place, I I wouldn't ask for a fee for a 10-minute chat and people are like, well, you should. But there's a socialization there, which means you don't tend to, and this is something that people have been talking to me about today, who tend to be from, I will say, marginalized demographics more often than not, or feel in some way that they are not entitled to this fee. But the fact that Connor asked for a fee and asked for £200, why would Sky News not immediately offer parity? You know, there's all these different levels there. And there was also a bit where they they tried to say, well, you know. Uh, This didn't happen. And then they had to ring up an apology and say, well, actually, he's getting £200. Sorry, we're going to give you that too. And I did say this online, and I'm I'm saying it here not to try and signal anything virtuous about myself, but just so it's on record. I I will be donating that fee to an organisation called Beyond Equality, which does really good work and programmes are educating young men into a positive form of masculinity rather than following a patriarchal type because I feel that is the most apt thing to do. But real food for thought there because... How do we engage with these mainstream media platforms? Should we engage at all? It's it's a question on the left that is ongoing. There was a great chat yesterday on Navarra Live between Michael, who is a GB News commentator, and Rivka, who thinks that maybe we shouldn't engage with GB News as a platform. And I think that those kind of ongoing conversations, actually having them in these spaces is very, very useful. I would love to hear what people at home think about engaging with platforms, whether they're sort of mainstream, presented as centre platforms like Sky News or really overt right-wing platforms like GB News. Should, as the left, should we be going there and making our arguments? As the left, what should we engage in? Where's our limitations? Things that I have not yet got a specific answer for, but all I know is Beyond Equality is getting a great payday thanks to Connor Tomlinson, who could have done with that kind of education when he was younger. Unfortunately, we're going to be staying with the theme of misogyny and uber patriarchy now, um, because we're going to be talking about a really harrowing story. And I want to warn you before we go into it, this report does contain some description of graphic violence. A South London borough is reeling after the horrific murder of a 15-year-old girl. This is Eliane Andam. She was a pupil at Old Palace of John Whitgift School in Croydon. And on her way to school yesterday, she was stabbed in the neck. Witness accounts suggest that she was killed by a friend's former partner, Now, the Evening Standard reported that Eliane intervened in an argument between a friend and their former boyfriend. Witnesses saw a boy on the number 60 double-decker bus apparently try and present another girl with flowers, which were rejected. The exchange then spilled out onto the street. This is what Victor Assar, a security guard who witnessed the attack, told Press Association. The boy wore a black blazer, the girl wore green. It looked like the girl didn't want the boy to come closer. Asar says the boy pulled out a knife, which was, quote, black, thin, and about a foot long. Described later in other press as a zombie-style knife with a serrated edge. He then stabbed the girl in the neck and chest. Asar continued. The blood was coming like water. A lot of people came. Everyone came off the bus. The boy ran away. Everybody was crying and screaming. The girl was on the floor. We tried to catch him, and a lot of people tried to save the girl. I was so shocked. I was shaking. It's somebody's daughter. Despite the work of bystanders and paramedics to save her, the 15-year-old passed away at the scene. Eliane's states family have now made a statement via the Metropolitan Police, which I'm going to read to you now. Eliane was the light of our lives. She was bright and funny with many friends who all adored her. She was only 15 and had her whole life ahead of her, with hopes and dreams for the future. All those dreams have now been shattered. Our lives have fallen apart, along with that of our wider family. Elians is the 15th teenage murder in London so far this year. 13 of those victims were stabbed. And knife crime in London has increased by 16% in the last 12 months. Campaigners say it's not just the impact of austerity cuts on local youth services that have fed into this increase. There is a simultaneous rise of social media pockets that are fostering a culture of violence and face-saving among young people. But neither of those explanations were what Conservative Junior Transport Minister Richard Holden blamed the capital's problem with knife crime on. He said it was Sadiq Khan, London's mayor, being distracted. What by? You, Les, apparently. This is Holden appearing on Sky News this morning. The mayor of London, is he doing enough about kids um, on the streets of London?
1: Well, I, I want to see the mayor fully focused on, you know, crime and antisocial behaviour. Um, I think there have been some distractions over the last few months for him, and I just want to ensure that... What
2: sort of distractions?
1: Well, I think you can talk about what's happening, the flip-flopping around uh, u and things like that. I think what we should be focusing on is things which really affect people in the city.
0: Now, in a late appearance on Sky, Khan said that the Tories were attempting to play, quote, political football with the murder of a 15-year-old girl.
7: If the Conservatives want to use the murder of a 15-year-old girl as a political football, that's up to them. I'm not willing to play ball. I'm quite clear. Well, you yourself did blame the government cuts for an increase in
5: knife
3: crime in London in your first answer.
7: I'm quite clear uh, about the consequences of austerity. I've been campaigning since 2016 to end austerity, to invest in not just the police and the criminal justice system, but to invest in young people, in youth workers, in teachers, in schools, in mentors. The sorts of things we're doing from City Hall with one hand tied behind uh, our back, it is really important. Uh, That we bear down on this issue, and I will continue to do so. At the same time, we've got to make sure that we address other issues our city is facing from a global pandemic, uh, from which we're trying to bounce back as a city, from issues around transport, making sure we've got a decent deal from the government so we can have public transport running in our city, from addressing the air quality crisis that exists in our city, incredibly. Uh, important to make sure we encourage businesses to come to uh, uh, you know our city. At the same time, making sure we build enough genuinely affordable homes, lobbying the government for more powers and uh, resources, trying to persuade the government the folly of having a high-speed two-line ending at Old Oak Common, six miles west of the centre of London rather than Euston. You know, a mayor's going to be able to do all those things at the same time as making sure our city is safe. But the number one priority for me as mayor is to make sure our city is safe, and that includes protecting young children from violent crime.
0: I get what Sadiq Khan's saying, you know, trying to go back to that ridiculous comment about, you know, ULEZ on the Tory minister, by saying, you know, I'm not going to play political football. But I would disagree with Khan on this. I would double down instead and say this is absolutely a political issue, just not one about you, It's one that seems to marry gender-based violence, the rise of social media, a youth crisis. Emma, what do you make of this?
3: all of the above but uh, like i just think that the 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 criminal like again like we live in a society that is um by design increasingly dysfunctional and so it's actually it, it's no surprise really that um you know incredibly violent and disturbing um things are are thing are, are, are happening and I also think you know that as well as like like austerity and austerity is such like a um I think the word austerity minimizes the actual like criminality of the policies that um you know have been enacted in this country over the last over the last decade of um uh of conservative, rule and just like the 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 acid stripping um that is that that is actually going on just the rapacious extraction of resources but i think also mental health i mean i don't know the details of, of of the case and i was reluctant to as as i often am to comment on it on social media because i hot take the level of hot takes about everything um on uh, on X and elsewhere I think are, are are unhelpful but I would also imagine the uh, there's a possibility that this is also linked you know just to kind of like mental health crisis the huge like underfunding of mental health services the fact that there are a lot of very very unwell, very unwell and potentially extremely dangerous people. Um just at large at large on our streets it's actually very apparent. I feel more fearful walking around than I ever have previously, really. um so yeah, I think it, we're it, it's a country in crisis, and this is kind of symptomatic Something like this is symptomatic of that
0: let's go to our next story, and we should warn that it does d- include distressing footage of assault. police body worn cameras were first piloted in Britain in two thousand and five. their purpose to improve the capture of evidence. But they do have another function, which is exposing police mistruths via first-hand footage. But now a BBC investigation has found that police officers in England and Wales are misusing their body-worn cameras in a number of horribly inventive ways. The BBC expose has uncovered more than 150 reports of misuse. They include... Cases in Seven Forces where officers shared camera footage with colleagues or friends, either in person, via WhatsApp, or on social media. Images of a naked person being shared between officers on email and cameras used to covertly record conversations. Footage being lost, deleted, or not marked as evidence, including video, filmed by Bedfordshire police, of a vulnerable woman alleging she had been raped by an inspector. The force later blamed this on an administrative error. Switching off cameras during incidents for which some officers face no faction sanctions, one force said an officer may have been, quote, confused. In one case, two siblings, whose names are given only as Louisa and Yufel were accused of assaulting and abusing police officers at a 2020 Black Lives Matter demonstration in London. They were both arrested and charged with assault. But body warm video revealed the force the force that officers had used was not disclosed to their relevant court cases, which means crucial evidence wasn't made available to their individual defence teams. Here's what the BBC uncovered.
4: Three years ago, a Black Lives Matter protest gathered outside Downing Street, attended by Youfayal on the left and his sister Louisa on the right.
8: The protest was initially peaceful. There was dancing, there were speeches...
4: Two hours in and that peace was broken, a clash quickly escalated, leading to Louisa's restraint.
8: I completely blacked out. I couldn't breathe. I was telling the officer, like, help me get my hand and he continued to rub my face in the ground and kneel on me. You do not leave your arm out! I'm going to flip the
4: The siblings were arrested and charged, accused of assaulting an officer in Yufayal's case and being threatening or abusive in Louisa's. Now, BBC analysis of multiple body-worn videos shown for the first time reveals the force used on the siblings themselves.
6: I was punched in the face, my sister was pushed, and then we
7: got charged with assault, even though we were assaulted.
4: We've examined how the incidents unfolded in little over a minute across multiple cameras. Watch here, as Louisa is pushed backwards by an officer's right hand on her neck and left hand on her chest. Just five seconds later, in the far left corner of the screen, a different body-worn camera shows Ufael being struck by an officer, who was then pulled backwards by colleagues. Moments later, and having removed herself from the front of the protest to search for her car keys, Louisa is restrained by a group of officers.
8: I literally thought I was going to die. You're OK? I blacked out. I've got your you're OK?
4: Despite what they experienced and the charges they were facing, body-worn video revealing officers' use of force wasn't initially disclosed to either of them as part of their cases.
8: It was very weird because the evidence that benefited me was put in his case and the evidence that was benefiting him was put in my case.
4: The BBC has also learned that body-worn video wasn't disclosed from the camera of the officer who pushed Louisa. In a statement, the force told us there were errors with disclosure of evidence and apologised. No action has been taken against any of the officers involved.
8: Cameras are only being put on when officers feel like it's necessary or they're being targeted.
6: It's labelled as protection for the public but ultimately it protects the police.
0: After a two-year court battle, Louise and Ufael were eventually acquitted. The judge at Ufael's hearing said it seemed like the prosecution had deliberately withheld relevant information. In a separate case, body-worn cameras were turned off before a man was allegedly assaulted by officers.
4: Two years ago, Ryan was arrested for assault at a house in Boston, Lincolnshire. After being handcuffed by the first PC and while stood by the van, Ryan appears to be flung into and knock over the second officer who's filming the incident. You're here, No, oh, fucking out, Dan. Fuck's sake. The first PC also then ends up on the ground. After he announces he's going to use a spray to incapacitate the man, the second officer disagrees no, and immediately turns off his camera. Ryan told the force he was then assaulted in the van while wearing handcuffs and struggling to see. A neighbour also reported seeing officers throwing punches. An investigation by Lincolnshire Police found the officers' actions were lawful and necessary and said the camera may have been turned off in confusion. All charges against Ryan were dropped.
0: Turned off in confusion. Uh, You saw for yourself that footage. Did it seem like the officer who turned off their camera was doing it in confusion? Do we buy that? A man alleges he's assaulted by police after a clearly hostile encounter, precursing that. A witness later says later they saw him being punched. But the camera that would have captured all of that is somehow turned off just as that encounter is alleged to have turned another level of violence escalating. Uh, Despite these incidents of cameras being turned off or footage being withheld, the police are more than happy to release the footage when it paints them in a positive light. This footage of a cannabis farm being raided was released in July by Bedfordshire and Thames Valley Police. Bedfordshire is the same force that uh, lost that evidential footage of a woman allegedly being raped. Now, it's commonplace for UK forces to publish videos like this on social media. My question is, do the cops fancy themselves as YouTube vloggers? Are they going to take your job, Fox, editing their footage? Or is this another case of police forces abusing their power? We've outlined how the police are willing to use body cam footage when it might result in good PR, or even they utilise it for sordid purposes, the purposes that still show the extent of power they have, such as sharing images of a naked person via email. But cameras are turned off or footage lost, when it could result in consequences for the police themselves. Even when the footage is there, such as in the case of those BLM protesters, there seems to be mechanisms in place that mean it doesn't reach the relevant people who could use it to attain some sort of justice. Justice that may see the police sanctioned or subject to misconduct hearings. What this adds up, to me at least, is a commitment, whether unconscious or not, on the part of the police, an institutional commitment to ensure that they remain the ones doing the surveillance, yet are not subject to it. Let's go to our next story. Keir Starmer's Labour have made yet another (laughs) u-turn who saw this coming this time it's on the issue of private schools the party had said that if they win a general election they will immediately charge private schools 20% VAT something that they are currently exempt from but they'd also said that part of this move would be to strip private schools of charitable status Now, Labour are saying that they will ditch that pledge on revoking charitable status, which means private schools would still retain at least some of their tax breaks. The I explains some of the details of how this all works here. Under current law, independent schools can be recognised as charities if they demonstrate that they make provision for those of, quote, modest means to attend, usually through scholarships and bursaries. Charitable status means private schools do not have to pay tax on their annual profits and grants them other tax breaks, including business rates relief on buildings. A spokesperson for the Labour Party said this. Our policy remains. We will remove the unfair tax breaks that private schools benefit from to fund desperately needed teachers and mental health counselling in every secondary school. This doesn't require removing charitable status. However, driving high and rising standards for every child against the backdrop of a broken economy requires political choices. Labour isn't afraid to make them. Well, they are making them. <laughs> they are afraid to not make them <laughs> because they're not removing charitable status from the rich private schools that have a lot of wealth and get a lot of tax breaks in order to hoard more of that wealth. That contradicts previous statements from the likes of Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Phillipson, who said the party would be, quote, scrapping charitable tax status for private schools to fund the most ambitious state school improvement plan in a generation. And in 2021, Rachel Reeves said this. Here's the truth. Private schools are not charities, and so we will end that exemption and put that money straight into our state schools. That is what a Labour government will do. Except that's not what a Labour government is saying they're doing now. They're doing the opposite. So this is another U-turn from Labour after a long line of them. What I'm thinking is, Emma, does keeping charitable status essentially mean that Labour is endorsing a system where low-income kids are propping up private school tax breaks? Yes, <laughs> There's your answer.
3: No, it's just it's just preposterous. Like that um justification as to why um private schools are charities is just not is is just not good enough. Like what are the proportion of um, children that are there on, like, full scholarships and bursaries. Um, uh, what, what kind of really impact is that having in social mobility? I'm sure it's, like, very, very minute numbers. It's, like, preposterous as a, as a justification. Yeah, they should be stripped of their charitable... I feel like this isn't... This shouldn't even be controversial or even be a con- conversation. They shouldn't have charitable status. Um, the money should money should be... And he, I mean obviously like state schools are grossly like underfunded under-resourced um there was the whole um scandal with the with the with the ceilings and with building materials i mean they are just like chronically underfunded and money should be coming certainly from um the char- the the, the re- redirected you know from the kind of charitable status that is like private schools are enjoying but also from from other quarters as well um yeah they're just grossly underfunded and that needs to change um you know as a matter of as a matter of urgency but i don't hold particularly high hopes to see that change in the immediate or even in the near in the near future
0: i think what's also interesting about this story is that it's posing private school as if it's a wider social good so if you just look at this 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 uh wording that the Labour spokesperson said, we remove the unfair tax breaks. This doesn't require removing charitable status. But we've heard earlier that, you know, charitable status means that public schools, private schools, they get these tax breaks on business rates. They have all kinds of sort of little loopholes. They can keep hoarding those massive fees they're taking from rich people in order to create this segregated social education system uh, where if you're rich, you can buy a really good education with all these different facilities as well. You know, you've got these private pools, you've got these private playing fields, the best quality teaching possible. And, but they're saying, okay, well, this is a social good for everyone. How is this a social good for everyone at all? And how is Labour endorsing the idea that there are unfair tax breaks and then there are fair tax breaks, like having private schools being... Uh, charitable statuses they're not a charity (laughs) why are they getting a charitable status and it keeps these private schools as this superior learning site where it's aspirational for low-income kids to be taken you know pity on or given this philanthropic you know individual chance at going to these amazing schools rather than making state schooling blanket the best possible across the country which would make private schools moot if you're funding state schools you don't need, and the state school is the best thing you could go to and has the best facilities and the best possible education and you're not, you know, the roof's not falling in because of the concrete, the, the age in concrete, then you don't need to go to a private school. You don't need to save up this money. Um, and or your, your parents don't need to work their fingers to the bone as every private schooler says their parents did in order to send them to this different type of school, which somehow is benefiting everyone. Doesn't make sense to me, but maybe I'm just a bitter state yeah. schooler. Emma, I want to thank you so much for joining me tonight. We are a dream team, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. More soon, please. Thank you, everyone, for watching this evening. This show will, as always, be back tomorrow. For now, you have been watching Navara Media. Good night.
6: This broadcast is brought to you by Navara Media. Go to navaramedia.com slash support.